My name is Brenda. If we haven't had the privilege to meet before, um, welcome. I'm one of the pastors here at Mountain Park, and it is my privilege to get to continue today in our series, Counterformed. And as we've been talking about the disciplines or principles of a spiritual life, we've been talking about so many of them. But today, I feel like I get the privilege of talking about the one that I think is, is sort of the epicenter of all of it. What I would say is maybe by far the most important one. And it's the one we don't talk about a whole lot in church. In fact, we don't talk about it a whole lot at all. But to me, it's been a really important practice that I've implemented in my own life just probably in the past six or seven years. I'd heard about it. I'd thought about it. I thought maybe I was practicing, but I really learned how to practice it just recently in my life. And it's been amazing. And this is the practice of silence and solitude. And I know as soon as I say that, some of you are like, what? Right? If you're busy in the thick of like raising your kids and you've got little ones, you're like, what is silence? <laughs> what is solitude? What are those things? They're concepts I've heard about, but not something I'm experiencing at all, right? I remember those days. And some of you, you live alone and maybe you've worked at home alone during COVID and you're like, silence and solitude, I've got that covered. I've got all kinds of it. I don't need any more of that. And it really doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. Pastor Alex and I, I hope it's okay I say this, had a conversation this week just before Immerse. I'm really throwing myself under the bus, not you. <laughs> um, but as we were coming into Immerse nights, I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm gonna be really, really honest with you in this moment. I am a true introvert. And so I have to challenge myself to be in community. That is a spiritual practice that Pastor Alex talked about a few weeks ago that I actually have to work myself up and challenge myself to be in community with other people because I would much rather be alone. I would much rather be alone. But I know that community is important. And every time I come on a Wednesday night and I sit at a table and I hear people's stories and I'm encouraged, I walk away encouraged and I know that it's been a good thing for me to be in community. But I have to push myself to be there. And Pastor Alex was saying like, oh my gosh, I love this. This is amazing because he's an extrovert. And that's how he loves to interact with people. Wednesday night's like now his favorite night of the week. And I'm always like, oh yeah, it's Wednesday. And it's honestly, when I get there, I love you guys. And I love being with you. And I love the community and I walk away encouraged. But it's hard. It's not my natural inclination. But whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, the practice of silence and solitude is really important. And for us who are introverts, we can spend a lot of time alone with ourselves, but entirely miss the point of silence and solitude. Entirely miss the point of actually being with God and creating time and space in our life to attend to his presence, to actually turn our attention towards where he's working and his voice and his activity, to center and ground ourselves in that place of his presence. And so whichever it is for you today, whether you're going, you know what? 
I, I don't want to do the silence or don't want to do community. Whatever it is, we have to challenge ourselves. That's what these spiritual disciplines and practices are about. They're about challenging ourselves to be outside of our comfort zone, to do the things that are going to be good for us. So before I get into what silence and solitude actually is, I want to tell you for a moment what it is not. Because it's not an escape from reality. And it's not a moment to just unplug from everything and everyone. It's not a spa day, even though that's really necessary sometimes. Husbands, take note. (laughs) It's not an opportunity just to do your own thing. And silence and solitude is not exactly rest or gathering strength to go back to do what you always do. We talked about that sort of last week. That's a Sabbath. It's a different thing. Silence and solitude is a time when we carve out intentional time to be alone with God. And it doesn't even always need to include prayer or scripture. And often when we settle ourselves and we we think, you know, I'm going to do my devotional time or I'm going to have time with God, we immediately pull out our Bible or we immediately begin to pray without stilling ourselves in the presence of God first. And I feel like there's something really important about these moments of just being able to still ourselves and be in the present moment and allow our soul to sort of catch up with our body and to be present in the moment and attentive to the presence of God. This is what silence and solitude is. If Sabbath fights against the pace of the world around us, silence and solitude fights against the noise of the world around us. C.S. Lewis referred to the kingdom of the enemy or the kingdom of this world as the kingdom of noise. Constant noise, constant chatter, constantly things vying for our attention. Constantly things pulling us away from being grounded and centered in God. Everything around us is constantly vying for that. And what's even worse is the digital age, these last 20 years or so. Our phones are constantly going off, notifications for everything, drawing our attention away from the things that we're supposed to be focused on. How often have I even personally gone into that time when I'm supposed to be spending time with God and I flip open my laptop because I'm going to read the Bible on Bible Hub or something, but then a notification comes in and then I see an email that there's a sale at RW and Co. Right, Rochelle, no, you don't know anything about that. And I get distracted. But I've learned the practice, and I've told you guys about this before when we talked about prayer a few weeks ago, of spending that first hour every morning in stillness and silence alone with God. And I'm telling you, it very rarely includes Bible reading, and it very rarely includes prayer. Sometimes in the last five minutes or so, something is so stirred in my heart that I need to pray about it. But for the majority of that hour, I'm just sitting in the stillness, in the silence before anyone else gets up in the house 
and being attentive to the presence of God. And it has become the most transformational thing in my life. In the busy, noisy chaos of our digital world, where everything and everyone is clamoring for our attention, there are so many distractions. It is easier than ever to gain the whole world and like lose your own soul. The famous words of Jesus. In some ways, not a lot has changed since those days. Not a lot has changed, but yet everything has. And this isn't a new problem. Jesus talked about this problem, but it wasn't long after Jesus was gone, only about three or 400 years after Christ, that the desert fathers and mothers began to, to go to the desert, which is why they're called the desert fathers and mothers. <laughs> they pulled away from society. This was a time when Constantine was um, ruling and he was like, oh, Christianity, that's cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna include it. And it became popular to be a Christian. But then all of a sudden the Christians were like, wait, we're getting influenced by the world and the culture. We're getting influenced by the noise of this world. Everything is crouching on my relationship with God. And so I'm gonna pull away into the silence and the solitude to get centered and alone with God again. And there are so many stories that you can read of those fathers and mothers of our faith who stepped out of the times in the desert and brought ministry back into the cities because of the time that they had spent alone with God. It's where the idea of monks and monasteries came from, is pulling away from the, from the noise, from the chaos of this world. Now, I'm not suggesting you become a monk, but I am suggesting that you consider a little bit of time each week or each day alone with your creator, the one who knows you best, the one who wired you and created you to be? What if we stopped listening to everything in this world that tells us who we should be and what we should do and began being attentive to the voice of the one who actually created us, who actually formed our being and knows exactly what we should be doing and how we should be doing it? So silence and solitude is creating space where God has our undivided attention, where our focus is on him and he can speak to us. It's time to attend to our relationship with God and then he can attend to the state of our inner world. But there is the problem. I think we fill our space and our time with so much noise because we're actually afraid to sit with ourselves in the silence because we don't really like what we discover. And it gets uncomfortable in those spaces because when we come face to face with the living God, we become very aware of our broken humanity. We become painfully aware of the things inside of us that are not aligned with his kingdom, with his heart, with his nature, and with his perspective in the world. So often we go to those distractions and we put the noise back on. And do you know what? Some of that noise is good stuff. It could be worship music. It could be your favorite preacher on YouTube or a podcast, but we're constantly filling our space with noise 
instead of just sitting and allowing the things that God wants to bring up to come to the surface of our lives so we can actually sit with those and meditate on them and consider them and wonder about them in his presence. We don't want to do that. It's painfully uncomfortable. So we put the podcast back on. We put the worship music back on. And I'm not saying those are bad things. They all have their place in our life. But if they're drowning out the noise of our inner world, if we're only doing it to cover up because we don't like being alone with ourselves and our own thoughts and feelings, then that's not a good thing anymore. We have to learn this practice of actually being able to sit alone with ourselves with the uncomfortable space of the things we, we find inside of us. In the ruthless elimination of hurry, I think um, Pastor Andrew talked about this book by John Mark Comer last week when he was talking about Sabbath. He says in the book, is it possible that we use external noise to drown out internal noise? Is it possible that we turn to all of these other things just to drown out the pain inside of our own heart and mind? We use every possible distraction so that we don't have to be alone with ourselves. And time after time in scripture, we see people who come to this undone moment in the presence of God. Moses at the burning bush hid his face from the presence of God. He was afraid to look at him. In Luke 5, Jesus tells Peter to put down the nets and they get this great haul of fish. It's when he's calling Simon Peter to be one of his disciples. And as they pull up those nets that are laden with fish, Peter's response was to fall on his knees and say, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. In Romans 7, Paul talks about this wrestle between flesh and spirit, this wrestle between what I want and what the spirit wants. And in response to the transformational presence of God in his life, he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And the famous words of Isaiah recorded in Isaiah 6, 5 say, he said, woe to me when he comes into the presence of God. Woe to me. I am ruined, or some translations say, I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I have lived among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. These are accounts of people who come into the presence of God and when faced with his holiness, when faced with who he really is, they go, oh, I, don't, I don't even belong here. I wanna run and hide. I can't stand to be in his presence because there's things in me that are so broken and we become a little bit undone and that's uncomfortable. We don't like to be undone. We don't like to fall apart, do we? Because we're so good at keeping it all together. We're so good at the facade and the pretending. We're so good at walking into church after we just had a huge fight in the car and going, we're good, we're good, we're all good good to see you today. We're so good at this. And we do it all of the time. We have this false self that we present to the world. It's who we want people to see us as. It's the person we wish we really were. 
But when we come into the presence of God, we can't be anything except our true self. All of that is stripped away. Everything that we hang our identity on, our status, our job, our roles and responsibilities, when we truly come into that moment of silence and solitude in the presence of God, all of those false structures that we build our lives on are stripped away. And we're just raw and naked there before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we have to face the broken pieces of our heart. And that is highly uncomfortable. But this is the crux of transformation. And that's why I believe this is the most important or number one spiritual discipline. And the question is, will we allow God access to those places? Or will we run away and put, put something on and drown it out and say, nope, that was super uncomfortable, not going back there again tomorrow? <laughs> or will we discipline ourselves to keep coming back to that place, even though it's hard, even though it's uncomfortable, even though we don't like what happens there and allow God to transform us? Silence and solitude is the furnace of inner transformation. It's the place where we're purified. It's the place where we are transformed. It's the beginning of all spiritual growth. It's a place where we're molded into the image of Christ. You know, you can sit here in church, but this is not what transforms you. My hope when I preach on a Sunday morning is that you'll walk out those doors with one thought. That's the most I could ever hope for, I think. That you would walk out those doors today with one challenging thought. One thing that you sit in your car and it comes back to you. One thing that your family maybe brings up over lunch. One thing that will sit with you this week when you're quietly doing some work and all of a sudden there it pops up again. And you begin to think about it and meditate on it. And you begin to wonder, how does this apply to me? God, why are you highlighting this one thing for me? How do I work this out in my life? And this is where the knowledge goes from head to heart and we begin to actually apply a principle and go, yes, I actually need that in my life. And we begin to, to apply the word of God, but that only happens in the silence. It actually doesn't happen here. It happens when you're alone with those thoughts. It happens when you wrestle with them and learn what they mean for you and apply them to your life. So you can listen to all the podcasts and YouTube videos and worship music. That's not the place of transformation. The place of transformation is in the presence of God. It's when you actually silence and still yourself and you say, God, how does this apply to me? It's where all our defenses and worldly supports are stripped away and we come to the end of ourselves the end of all of the things that we prop ourselves up with. And we come with our true selves in the presence of a holy God. And if we stay there long enough, our thoughts start to come down. All the swirling chaotic things I have to do in my day start to settle. Here's a really good just tip if you're starting to practice something like silence and solitude. Keep a pen and a paper beside you, not your phone. If you pick up your phone and you go, oh, I like to make notes on my phone, you're gonna get distracted by something else. Put the phone away and keep a pen and a paper beside you. 
Because when something comes up and you think, oh, I've got to do that, you can write it down and let it go. You can deal with it later. You don't have to hold that thought. It's a way of just letting things pass and letting this stillness come. It's really hard for us. But when that, that stillness begins to come, when the thoughts, our own internal chatter starts to settle down, then the feelings begin to come up. And we begin to sit in that place where we can actually have an entry point for the voice of God. We're actually still enough to hear his voice. Aside from every other voice and noise in the world around us, when we still ourselves in that place alone, the solitary place, that's when and where God speaks. It's where he speaks most often throughout the Bible. It's where he spoke to people when they went out into the wilderness. We're gonna get into this. It's where God has the opportunity to show us something different. He teaches us how to be in this world, but not of this world. He teaches us how to carry his peace and his kingdom and his nature so that when we step out of the solitary, silent places, we actually have something to offer to somebody else. The desert or the wilderness is the same word in the Greek language that is used also for the solitary or solitude places that Jesus would go to. So we talked about this again when we talked about prayer a few weeks ago, but I just wanna pull this out a little bit because I think this is important. The same Greek root word is used for wilderness when we know Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where he was tempted of the enemy. Now, when we think of wilderness in our modern Niagara region world, what do you think of? I think of something very barren. I think of the desert. I think of no life or population around. But that was exactly the same place that Jesus came out of after 40 days and 40 nights, stepped into a little bit of ministry, and then immediately went back into the solitary place. And he repeatedly went there over and over and over. We read this again a couple of weeks ago that he went, it was his practice or his habit or his discipline to go early in the morning before everyone else awoke and after dinner in the evening to a solitary place to meet with God. Now, if Jesus needed this rhythm of going to a quiet place away from the crowds and the noise of the world around him, don't we need that rhythm too? Don't we also need that daily rhythm of getting into a place where we can still ourselves enough to hear the voice of the Father speak over us? We need these wilderness experiences. We don't want them. Nobody likes that but we need to learn to discipline ourselves and put ourselves in a place where we are still long enough to hear the voice of God. When we think of the wilderness, we think of weakness, we think of barrenness, and we think of hardship. But actually, I believe the wilderness is the most fruitful place you will ever find yourself. The solitary place is the most fruitful place. When we look at the story of the Israelites, I believe you, you can look at this how you want, but here's how I look at it. 
We often look at the story of the Israelites. They leave Egypt, they were in the wilderness for 40 years, and then they moved into the promised land. Those are kind of the, the steps of the Israelites in that story. And we look at them in the promised land and we think that's really fruitful, and it is. But where did that fruit come from? It came from what happened in the wilderness. They never would have been able to conquer the promised land if they hadn't spent those years in the wilderness. Because what happened in the wilderness was that God took a group of people who for generations had been in slavery in Egypt and all they knew was slavery in Egypt. And he took them out and he gave them this great exodus through the Red Sea. And they said, take us back to Egypt. That's all we know. That's the only structure we know. It's the only thing we have to cling to. But God was like, no, my people aren't slaves. I have something for you and I need to teach you how to be my people. I need to teach you how to be my children, how to no longer live in slavery and fear, but to live free. And that's what the wilderness was all about. When we read this in Deuteronomy 8, I think, um, <laughs> bigger font, um, it says, it's Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way from the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Can I, can I just throw something out? I have a feeling God knew what was in their heart. But I have a feeling they didn't. I have a feeling God knew exactly what he was doing. When he said, you need to sit with this for a little bit and let all of that junk come up to the surface and get out of your light, life and let me teach you a new way how to live, the way of listening to my voice. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You know, the Israelites, when they walked into the promised land, they never won a battle because they were the bigger nation or the stronger nation. They won the battles because they had learned to listen to the voice of God. And when you read the stories of how they took the promised land city by city, every single one was different. Every single encounter that they had was different. Do you remember they marched around Jericho seven times, but when they got to the next city, they didn't do that. Why is that? Because God wanted them to be dependent on his voice, dependent on being able to hear what he was saying for that day, for that battle, for that moment in their life, so that he could teach them to depend fully on his word, on his voice, not on anything else that had to do with them. They had nothing. Every time they came up to face a new city or a new battle, they had to go, God, what do we do? We don't know how to do this. Only you know. And that was how he taught them that. And we need to learn that too. 
Jesus said those same words, if you remember, when he was tempted in the wilderness by the enemy. He was able to turn to the enemy and say, no, he quoted Deuteronomy. It's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, when we think about Jesus 40 days in the desert and he was hungry and the enemy comes to tempt him. And you know, we talk about the fact that he'll come when you're weak. I actually don't believe that anymore. He probably thought Jesus would be weak because that's how he thinks. Jesus was strong in that moment. He'd had 40 days alone with the Father, coming out of his baptism after the Father had spoken over him and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then he goes out into the desert and every other noise and distraction is silenced. And this is the time when God said, you're not just a carpenter's son anymore. You're my son and you're gonna step out into ministry and I'm gonna call you and walk with you to do some things, but you're gonna have to listen to my voice because every interaction is gonna be different. Every time you heal someone, it's gonna be different. Every time you step into someone's life, it's gonna be different. So you're gonna to need to listen to me. And we know that Jesus, from his account, he said, I only, he, I only do what I see the Father doing and I only say what I hear the Father saying because he retreated to those solitary places where he could get aligned with the heart of the Father and to hear what the Father was saying so that he could walk out and step out into ministry with compassion for people with the perspective of heaven and the heart of the Father and carry that into every place that he went. And Jesus wants that for us too. He doesn't want us to live in a different kind of way. We can live like Jesus lived. And if we spend that time every day in the presence of God, listening and aligning and stilling ourselves and centering ourselves and focusing on God and giving our attention to him, and asking, where are you moving today, God? What are you doing today? Because what, uh, you know, my agenda, my schedule doesn't really matter a whole lot. I wanna know what you're doing today. I wanna know where your activity and heart is. And I wanna get in line with that. And I, I feel like I'm able to step out of that place in my life after practicing this for many years. And a lot of the time, not all of the time, I'm able to face my day with gentleness and with a, a bit of ease and with a smile on my face, with contentment in my heart because I've spent that time in the presence of God. And if you catch me on one of those days, and some of you have, where I'm critical and judgmental, where I'm feeling a little bit self-righteous, or I'm angry, it's probably because I haven't spent that time alone with God. This is powerful. And I came in here today feeling, you know, a little discouraged because I felt like, God, I love those like fiery, faith-filled, like come on kind of messages. I love those. But I felt like when I, was, when I was just coming in, he said, today we just need the simplicity of this. I need my people to hear my voice, to still ourselves long enough to be able to hear God's voice of direction to not rely on anything else, any other structure, anything else that we prop ourselves up with or hang on to, but just to be alone in our true self, in the presence of God.
to allow the things that don't align with his heart to come to the surface. And when they do, then he can heal them. Then he can speak life over them. Then he can show us his way. That's a better way. He begins to align those things in our hearts. He doesn't leave us there alone in our brokenness. He's always going to bring the strength and the things that we need in order to heal those deep places of our heart where we carry those ugly things and to be healed and alive in his presence. It's in the quiet place where we are purified and refined. And we finally become the people that we were always meant to be. We let go of our slavery to this world and to the things that we've left behind. And we are slowly but surely transformed into the image of Christ. Silence and solitude is the place where we die to self and where Jesus speaks into our new self, where we understand we are children of God. And we walk out of that place as people who are deeply loved and highly favored. If we want to walk in peace in the middle of this chaotic world, if we want to carry joy, even in the most difficult moments of life, if we want to bring comfort to others in times of suffering, and if we want to be the kind of people who can walk in humility and gentleness, the people who desire to hear and obey God's voice, if we are going to be the disciples who are known by the kind of great love that we have for other people, then we must position ourselves in that place of encounter with God. Those moments, as I was reading and just studying this week about this message, they're often called moments of great struggle and great encounter. Great struggle and great encounter. And here's the thing. Sometimes we get into the struggle and then we back out and we leave. We get close to being transformed, but then we go, no, that's too hard, and we walk away. We put the ear pods back in. We do our own thing. Can I challenge you today to sit in that space long enough to let God do the work that he wants to do? It took 40 years for the Israelites. I don't want it to take that long in my life. There's this scripture that we all know, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know nothing else, but I'm your God, your God. If we only knew what silence and solitude would produce in our lives, I think we would run to it and not away from it. I think we would run into that place and not back out of it. So where do we start? Just super practically here at the end. If you are not practicing silence and solitude in your life, I just want to give you a few places to start. My first encouragement to you would be just start. Even if it's only five or 10 minutes, that's all you can manage to do. Do it. Maybe it means you turn everything off when you're driving in your car. And you just sit in silence in your car with God. That's one way that you can start. 
Maybe it means you set your alarm 15 minutes earlier and you get up 15 minutes before you know any of the kids or anyone else is gonna be up and you just sit alone. You can have a coffee. I do. Like I said before, no one wants to see me before my coffee, not even Jesus. He probably would accept me, but I don't think he would like me. But just take those moments alone. And maybe, maybe it needs to be a trade-off. Maybe you need to turn off the Netflix or the YouTube. Maybe you need to delete a social media app off your phone. Maybe you need to remove some of the noise from your life. Some of the distractions, some of the voices so that you can begin to still yourself in the presence of God. If this is new for you, start small. If you've already started small, expand it. Do a little bit more, sit a little longer. Let God do that transformational work inside of your life and an encouragement to moms and dads, especially with little kids, give your spouse a break. Set up in your schedule a half an hour where you can just go for a walk by yourself and not have any responsibilities or things that you have to deal with. Do that for each other. Let each other have those spaces of silence and solitude. Work them into your schedule. Work them into your week. So what do you need to turn off in order to tune in? I'm going to ask you to stand with me here just... At the, at the end here, just for a moment, we're gonna pray and we're gonna have a moment of stillness and silence before the Lord. And I know that might be super awkward, but we're gonna try it. We're gonna try to practice this together. So I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. Forget about who's beside you or around you. Just take a moment to completely still yourself in the presence of God. Allow yourself to become aware of his presence. Wait for him in this moment. As thoughts come, you can just let them pass by. You don't have to hold them. Give God a little space to speak. If you've got something you need to ask him for clarity or direction, you can do that. If you want to ask him, God, how do I fit this into my life? You can do that too. Let him speak. And when he does speak, just acknowledge it and thank him. Jesus, I thank you for the model of your life and this practice of the rhythm of silence and solitude. I thank you for this place where we can be transformed by your love in the quiet, in the stillness. I thank you that you prefer that over a public display, that you allow us to come into a place of secrecy and silence with you. I thank you, God, for that inner transformation, how you've worked in our lives so far, but don't stop. We invite you to continue to work in us. Pull us back to this place. 
And Jesus, if there's a way that we need to be intentional about this, if there's something that needs to shift or change in our lives, would you remind us about that today? And we will do the discipline of putting it on our calendar and making it happen. We will be intentional with the things that you ask us to do and lead us to do. We commit ourselves, our lives, our time, our space to you, God. We let you be Lord over it. We pray all these things. In your name, amen.